0: All right, if you've got a Bible, phone, or paper, um, if you want to turn to Psalm 23, that would be awesome. Saul, Ruth, good to see you. I missed you. Saul, good to see your face, brother. Oh, man, what a treat. Like, look up and get done singing, and you're here, brother. Good to see you. Hey, look around really quick. There's some new people um, there's some old people, and uh, but everybody who comes on any Sunday, it's a leap of faith and a sacrifice. So just look at somebody kind of under your mask, kind of wink at them and be like, I'm glad you're here. Like It's a big deal to come to church, so look at people and let them know you're glad they're here. Uh, today we conclude our series, The Lord is My Shepherd. I'm going to take this off for the next few moments. And, and, and so we wrap up our journey through Psalm 23. I confess to you, it's been a really powerful series to me. A lot of it has been rooted in a book I read last year uh, called uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. This is actually kind of a trilogy of books by this guy, Philip Keller. He was a shepherd in the Middle East and in Africa, and then became kind of a, almost like a a doctor of shepherds, and he's also a believer. And so he, he wrote this book years and years ago. It's kind of a classic of Christian uh, reading and so I read it last year. It was so powerful. I want us to walk through this uh, this chapter in God's Word today, or this, at the beginning of the year. And so it's encouraged me as as we've looked over the last I think six or seven weeks at uh, who the Lord is. The Bible says he's our shepherd, and because he's our shepherd, what the Lord does. And so today we're going to wrap up, we're going to read verse 6, and we're going to see two declarations that a, a follower of Christ can make in light of or in response to the Lord being our shepherd. And so today I'm reading from kind of a hybrid version of the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible. That's the Bible we typically use on Sunday if you're downloading one or ever decide to buy one. But also, um, I, I've taken over the last few weeks, like, the, the original language the Bible was written in, the ancient Hebrew, and tried to translate it uh, a little bit where something I felt like was missing. And so as I read the whole of uh, Psalm 23 today, I'm going to read it from kind of a hybrid of the ESV and of the ancient Hebrew. So here we go in verse 1 uh, of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. He is constantly making me lie down in green pastures. He is constantly leading me besides still clean waters. He's constantly restoring my soul. He's constantly leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are constantly comforting me. You're constantly preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is in perpetual overflow. Surely goodness and God's gracious, loving kindness will pursue me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wish we had time to just kind of go around and and talk about what verse stands out. One of my favorite things that we've been doing this year is reading chapters or little portions of the Bible and just hearing from people what stands out. And I'm sure that if we talked about it today, you would say, what stands out? If you're the ADD folks texting uh, on Facebook Live right now, you might even write in the chat. Or if you're watching on Facebook Live from your house, you might even write in the chat, this verse stands out, this verse stands out. Remember, we got to remember this, uh, though, as we talk about Psalm 23. This isn't a a psalm or a worship song about um, people relating to God. As much as it's a psalm written by a guy who used to be a shepherd comparing the Lord to a shepherd and then humans to being his sheep. And so every phrase in the whole psalm had its roots in an aspect of shepherding in ancient Israel. King David declared the Lord was his shepherd and therefore he lacked for nothing. David knew deep down through experience who the shepherd was and what he would do. Like I I just see David. I think about uh, Michelangelo's David and sort of David and all of his Uh, kingly glory and his power and his authority and these stories of David sort of ruling Israel and being the greatest king of Israel before Jesus. But then I think about David writing Psalm 23 and recollecting back when he was the baby brother and the runt of the family. And uh, and when he was anointed the king of Israel, he literally just came in from the sheep fields. And the ancient Hebrew says he didn't even, he had at best he had peach fuzz on his face and his cheeks were still red because he was such a young man. And so there he was, the lowest on the totem pole, shepherding his family sheep. And he says, you know what? The Lord is my shepherd and I am one of his sheep. And so David knew through experience who the shepherd was and what a shepherd would do. Now, did David experience dryness and danger like we see him write about in verse 1 and 2? Yes, remember uh, his predecessor Saul and even his own son Absalom later in life chasing him down. And so we experience dryness and danger on the journey of faith. Yes, if David wasn't exempt, Neither will we be. We'll experience dryness and danger uh, in our journey. But the shepherd will provide green pastures and still waters. Did David experience restlessness and wandering? Some of you have restless hearts uh, and wandering hearts. Uh, Our hearts have ADD. Yes, David did that as well. Remember Bathsheba. So we will experience seasons of restlessness and wandering on the journey of faith. But the shepherd will provide soul restoration and paths of righteousness. Did David experience an easy life? No. David suffered traumas and disappointments and hardships. And will we experience an easy life on the journey of faith? No, not necessarily. But the shepherd will provide a sense of his presence. And give us a glimpse of his rod and his staff even in the darkest valleys of life. Did David experience real enemies, hard battles, and get dirty and exhausted? Yes. David's probably, honestly, other than Jesus, David's probably the most human person that we read about in the Scriptures. Quite frankly, he's the most human person we read about in the Old Testament, the Jewish Scriptures. And we will experience real enemies and hard battles and get dirty and exhausted. As as your pastor, I totally wish you didn't. Like I know some of you fight real battles in your journey of faith. And you get tired and you get down in the muck and the mire of it. And I wish you didn't. But if you didn't, you would experience something less than the full rights of being a sheep and the full rights of having God as your shepherd. That's just what faith comes with. And so the Lord, even in the midst of that, will prepare a table for us in our enemy's presence and anoint our heads with oil and fill our cup to overflowing. So for David and for us, in light of all the shepherd is and does, we can make two declarations. And this is verse 6. There's two things we can confidently say over and over and over. And here they are. One, goodness and mercy will pursue us all of our days. So if you're if you're at home watching or watching on Facebook Live, like you might even type it in the chat today. Surely grace will pursue me. Grace will pursue me all my days. It's a promise in light of the shepherd. The second thing David says that we can confidently say is, I will dwell in the flock or the family or the house or the presence of my God forever. If you're writing in the chat, you might say, I will dwell with God forever. Sometimes we just need to hear ourselves say those things, like God's grace will always pursue me. Some of you, I love you, you feel like God's grace like, has a boundary line and you have the ability to wander past it or out it. Have you ever felt like that? <laughs> I promise you what the psalm says in conclusion is, surely grace and mercy will pursue me. Even if I think I go out past the boundary line, grace and mercy are still going to pursue me. Out past that and then we will dwell with God forever so let's look at those declarations today goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life now goodness is anything desirable or beneficial or that's a blessing in Genesis 1 the Bible says that God looked at everything he had made for six days straight and he said this is good this is good And this idea that David, when David uses this word, it's the same word that the author of Genesis wrote and that God spoke when he saw everything he made. And it's sort of pre-Eden, pre-fallen condition. When God looked at everything perfect and sinless that he had made, God said, this is good. And David said, that same goodness is going to be pursuing me. There's a pre-Eden, a pre-fall goodness to God that's going to be pursuing me. David says the desirable, beneficial blessings, the Eden stuff, will follow him all the days of his life. And if the Lord is your shepherd, that's for you As well, he also says mercy, goodness and mercy. That word is a Hebrew word, chesed. It's one of my favorite words. I can hear Renee right now almost through this camera like saying chesed. Like it's one of our favorite words in the Bible. It means grace. It's the closest thing in the Old Testament to the word grace. You don't get a a good easy translation of the word grace in the Old Testament, this is the idea of grace, chesed, it's mercy. Another translation might say it's loving kindness. Um, it is, uh, if you're a Nick small group, you guys are charged with listening to a song called Reckless Love, right? The idea of that song Reckless Love is this idea, it's this chesed. It's, it's the idea of God's never-ending, never-failing, undeserved, unrelenting Love. That's God's reckless love. If you haven't listened to that song and you're in that group, you might listen to it and understand that's when David says, goodness and mercy will follow me. It's God's reckless pursuing love that chases us out to the boundaries. God's reckless love is his mercy. How many of you have experienced God's mercy and grace? Probably I have like 10 photos of last year that I will carry with me in my mind for a long time Pandemic life kept us from being with one another as much. And so photos of our church are fewer and further between than in most years. But probably the image that will stay with me the most is watching Carson pull his son Barrett up out of the water after he baptized him. Now, um, a year and a a half before that, a year before that, I got to baptize Carson. And I can remember that. That was one of the joys of 2019 for me. So in 2020... I got this amazing photo of Carson pulling Barrett up out of the water. What God had done in Carson, uh, Carson was getting to take part in in his son's life, right? And if you, want, if you look at the photo, right there on uh, Carson's arm is the Hebrew word, chesed, mercy, mercy. And Carson is dunking his son. And so Carson is making the declaration that God's goodness and mercy have pursued him. And caught him while he's dunking his son who is making the declaration that God's goodness and mercy have pursued and caught him as well. Grace is about who God is, not what, who we are, what we have done. Goodness and mercy pursue us. How many of you uh, have a Bible open, digital or paper, and it says follow? I didn't even look. Does it say follow here? I think it said follow up here when we had it up. Does yours say, everybody say follow? You can open it. You can maybe just, yeah, follow. Most of you, it says Follow. I, I, I've always heard it that way. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That is not a strong enough word. I've just learned this in the last week or two. It's not quite a strong enough word. The better word is pursue, like chase us down. And what does that mean exactly? So, if you're going to take any notes today, I think there's three things we need to talk about. This is what I want you to take a note on. When the when the Bible says that surely goodness and mercy will follow me or pursue me I want to talk about how grace and goodness and mercy are going to follow and pursue us and here's three ways number one grace and mercy goodness and mercy pursue us to hunt us down now over the years I'm 43 years old I've had uh, hundreds and hundreds of variations of one of three dreams These are my three dreams Sean are you into dream interpretation I knew you would be I love that about you um Dream one that I've had a lot is that I can fly, uh, and I, I can, and when I begin, and when I'm dreaming, and I cease to be able to fly, I kind of do this like somersault flip forward, and that gives me extra power to then fly more, uh, and I promise you, I have dreamt this dozens of times in my life, I kid you not. The second dream that I've had over and over and over in my life is that I'm late for something, and no matter what I do to try to get to it, I can't quite get to it. And um, there's always something. Does anybody have the stream? Or am I just really messed up? Okay, a couple. Good. There's like it's like a like a AA meeting in here right now. Like I'm not alone. So good. So uh, I don't have to be anonymous in my struggle. Uh, but the worst of the three dreams, the worst, the one that has wakened me in sweats. Uh, so many times, dozens of times in my life is that I'm being chased by a relentless enemy. And there's nothing that I can do to get away. Like I'll kind of dip in here, and they'll chase me down. I'll try to get out ahead of them. They chase me down. This is a dream that I've had for years and years and years. I actually don't have it as much anymore. The last couple of years, I don't have it quite as much anymore. But there's been a lot of times over my 43 years... In the nightmare, no matter what I did, where I went, how hard I tried, there was an enemy chasing me. For the person who's not yet a follower of Christ, this says that Christ's love is constantly pursuing you and chasing you. And it's not judgment, and it's not anger, and it's not frustration that God is pursuing you in. It's goodness and mercy of the Lord that's pursuing you. And for the one who is a Christ follower, um, for the one who is a Christ follower, Christ is pursuing you. Sean, I actually think about you. I'm about to rat you out. Uh, I knew you had signed up. I didn't know if you would be here, and I wrote you into my sermon. Um, my friend Sean recently gave his life to Christ. And uh, after God, he, he literally prayed that uh, Sunday morning, God, I need a sign. And the Lord put a sign in his life that would make, like, the Vegas Strip envious. Like, I mean, the Lord gave Sean a sign that he was pursuing him. And he kept pursuing Sean and kept pursuing Sean and kept chasing him in love. One poet called Christ the Hound of Heaven And it's true. So Christ follower, I want to tell you, you are being pursued by goodness and mercy. And you can't shake God's goodness and mercy with a sloppy performance or with doubts or with repeated sin or with anything else. You cannot shake God's goodness and mercy and the shepherd's love and pursuit of you. Believe me. Like Nat and I combined have been apathetic or wandering enough over our 17 years of marriage that we could I think we just about got every type of doubt, distraction, wandering. I think we've done them all, and I can I I can testify to you today that God will continue to pursue you in love, Christ follower, forgiven of sin, part of God's family by faith, and in relationship with Christ. Goodness and mercy are pursuing you even when you are not pursuing Christ. And I know we have masks on and all that, and some people are watching by screen, but can we, like, just say amen to that? Like, that is good. God is pursuing us, even when we're not pursuing him. That is the gospel. Number two, second way that goodness and mercy pursue us, they follow us in a sense of following behind us or to look back and testify to what God did. Like footprints in the sand or footprints in the snow to remind you where you've come from, goodness and mercy will follow you. And so when I forget or I doubt, I look back and I see God's goodness and his mercy pursuing me and journeying with me. I can look back and see where God did something before this week. uh, For the people on the leader path, there were eight of us in the leader path small group this week. We're really blessed to hear Carla share her testimony. And what we're doing is this thing called story arc, where you're kind of taking the narrative of your faith journey and your life, and you're putting it into five or six sort of major bullet points or themes. And so we got to hear Carla's this week. It was so powerful. Has she showed you the picture yet? It's so good, so good. Carla, would, if, if I gave her the mic this morning, she would stand up and tell you she isn't perfect. She's had times of wandering, as we all have. She's had challenges, and she's had the enemy directly oppose her at different times in life. She would tell you that she is no hero, but we got to hear faith and courage and perseverance, and perseverance. She would say she's no hero. I would tell you she's right, but the Lord, her Good Shepherd, is the hero. And I love that about her story. Despite her struggles, the high moments, the low moments, she made much of Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And we don't just have to look at our life or her life. We can even look back at the heroes of the faith. This month on our Instagram daily or in our Facebook daily we're posting sort of our black church history, people who have been part of the body of Christ, the family of God over the centuries. And and we've as a family been reading about Martin Luther King and Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and seeing their faith. When we look back at our journey, or we look back at others' journey, we can see that God's love and mercy and goodness were pursuing us, chasing after us. I, I struggle with doubt. Like I don't know how many of you believing is really easy. Believing is not really easy for me. There are some days I just have to pray, Lord, I, conf- like, I believe, help my unbelief. And in those moments, the thing that steadies me so often is seeing God's faithfulness come behind me and seeing people who made it to the finish line and were way smarter or godlier or just better than me who made it to the finish line of faith. The third way that goodness and mercy pursue us is hopefully they follow us in the sense of leaving a legacy or a blessing. I like hiking. How many of you, but show of hands, like to hike? Yep, good. Uh, So I like a well-marked hiking trail. More than an unmarked hiking trail, right? Uh, We had a friend who got misplaced on a hike the other day, right? It's a little terrifying, isn't it, right? Like, here's uh, the trees on a well-marked trail are color-coded message boards to tell us exactly where to go. And so someone loved the trails and loved the destination enough... They love the trail and they love the destination enough to paint a green line on green trees on a green hiking path and a yellow or an, uh, a yellow line on the yellow trail or an orange on the orange trees. Like they got you and they get you there. They help you stay on the path, follow the trail, stay, stay where you're going. And that's they did that because they loved the destination. They loved the journey. And they loved the people who had come after them. And so they left a blessing right there on the tree. Well, we've been hiking a couple of times, and we can't find the color. And I start panicking. And Nat's like, babe, calm down. It's going to be all right. We're not going to die in these woods. It's not big enough for us to die. We're going to make it. And, um, and so listen, like, we, we have the same, just like that marking on the trees, we have the same opportunity because we love the destination, and we love the journey, and we love the people who will come behind us to leave a legacy for people. Goodness and mercy following us for the people who will come behind us. So we need to ask ourselves, is my life a pleasure to others, or is it a, is it a pain? Am I leaving behind me peace or turmoil? Am I leaving behind me forgiveness or bitterness? Am I leaving behind me joy or frustration It's how I'm spending my time and money and abilities, a series of trail markers pointing people toward the summit, a relationship with God and Christ. The Bible calls these decisions, these actions, these attitudes, good works. When the Bible speaks of good works, they're evidences of salvation. It may be giving or serving or using our God-given gifts or fighting for justice or practicing justice and witnessing and sharing the gospel. We were talking with a friend last night who he and his wife are adopting two children. It's gonna cost them $60,000 to adopt two kids, but they said it's a no-brainer for us. Scripture calls us to love orphans. They were like, it's a sacrifice worth making. There, there's goodness and mercy following behind them for those who will come after them despite the cost. And so we're called to good works. Goodness and mercy, mercy should follow us. That should be true of all of us as humans, but let me share the gospel with you. We all should leave goodness and mercy behind us, whether we follow Jesus or Buddha or some Indian God or ourselves or whatever, like it's a sad person who leaves the world worse than they found it, right? Like, but here's the gospel. Let me share the gospel, so we all just leave out of here trying to be better people. The gospel, uh, while a pre-Christian would do these good works out of a sense of altruism or to earn some brownie points with the deity, a Christ follower does this because she or he has received goodness and mercy. We don't have to do good works. Christians don't have to do good works. We don't have to at all. That's the gospel. God did everything to accomplish our salvation. But for the Christian, they can't help but do good works because of all the goodness and mercy they've received. The Christian life is conduit. Goodness flows in, goodness flows out. Mercy flows in, mercy flows out. Blessings flow in, blessings flow out. Living water of Christ flows in, living water of Christ flows out. There's two ways we're not called to live as believers. One way is constantly receiving, constantly being blessed, constantly having living water poured in. At some point, that's gotta be, it's gotta go out. A a body of water that only receives and never goes out is a swamp. And there's a lot of Christians in our world who have a spiritual journey that's like a swamp. Water's flowing in, it's never flowing out. The other danger is to always be flowing out goodness, mercy, blessing, living water going out, but with nothing pouring in, not being part of a church, not reading God's word, not growing in faith. This is the person who runs dry. A body of water that constantly is running out with nothing flowing in becomes a dry riverbed. And churches are also full of Christians who are running on empty because they're doing things for God without allowing God's grace and mercy to pour into them. Goodness and mercy follow me as a reminder that the shepherd is hunting or pursuing me in love. Goodness and mercy follow me so I can look back and see the shepherd's faithfulness before and know he'll be faithful again. Goodness and mercy follow me because as one perfectly loved, I have a legacy, a testimony, and a witness. I'm free and compelled to leave in others. Who's one person in your life who needs to see goodness and mercy follow behind you into their path? The one who can say this and does this can say with David, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The household, the flock. Remember, this is a sheep reflecting on the shepherd. It's not saying that sheep are going to come live in the house. It's saying I will be part of the household, the family of the Lord forever. That's forever, but it's also now. I will dwell in the house of the Lord now and forever. Yes, there's heaven and eternal life, but there's also abundant life now. Howard and I talk about eternity when we get together and like, we believe there is a real heaven and a real hell as Christians. But we also believe there is a good life that can be lived now with a shepherd. And there is a bad life that can be lived in the service of God's enemy, the devil. And we have to choose our sides. There is abundant life now in Christ. Yes, there's dwelling in the house of the Lord. But Christian, there's also the Lord making his house in you via his Holy Spirit right now. Nothing will steal you from God's grip. Nothing will cause him to let you go. Nothing will cause him to stop loving you and singing over you, the Old Testament says. Nothing, nothing Nothing. How can he who did not spare his own son Jesus to accomplish relationship with us allow anything to separate us from him? He can't and he won't. So we say with confidence I will dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. I'm safe in his presence I can rest in his presence. I can stay in his presence. I can live alone, aware in his presence. I can celebrate and be jubilant in his presence. I saw jubilation this week in two ways. Now, I'll begin to bring it into the barn here. Two very clear ways, two very different ways. Uh, the first one, I want to share them with you as we wind down. The first one, let me give you some backstory. Last year, Charlestown High School's basketball team won their first two games. And then they lost 16 games in a row. Uh, it was painful. Like, it was... Like, going to the dentist and him breaking out that little scrapey tool uh, 16 times in a row when you knew you were good. I was like, I can't watch them lose any more games. It was miserable for the coaches and the players, including Coach Coleman, who comes to our church, as well as Steven and Dowdy and other guys who attend our church as well. This year, during the summer, Coach and I read... Uh, John Wooden's Pyramid of Success, we did a series on it last year right before the pandemic. He and I read this book together, and he was challenging these young men and helping them grow as men students and teammates and athletes. So they actually were allowed by the state to have a very short season. It started about three weeks ago, and it started with them losing their first two games. And Coach was, like, getting these, you know, like this, because, like, he's remembering last year, right? And um, But he's instilling in these young men these principles about what it means to be good men and students and teammates and all those things. So then they won their next five. So as of this week, they were five and two, and they played New Mission High School, which New Mission in the city of Boston is legit high school basketball program. It's one of the few high schools that actually recruits kids to come play basketball there uh, because it's such a good program. So New Mission, when they played on Thursday, was the one seed, and our guys had to beat New Mission to advance to this city in, uh, this city tournament at the end of the year. It's a vast improvement from last year, but it was all or nothing on Thursday. And so Charlestown was down all game. They literally were losing the entire game. And uh, I was there for the first two quarters, and I left. I was meeting with you, Howard, so I left. They were down 10. I left your house. I texted coach, and I was just uh, confident that they had given it all and lost. But with three seconds to play and down one point, this happened. We ready? Can you show it? Listen, the young guy who hit the basket is Stephen. He's one of our interns here at the church. He sits over here every Sunday. He's not here today, uh, but he said he'd be here next Sunday, um, I was so proud of him. I was so proud for Coach and the team. I've watched that video probably 30 times in the last four days. I love the jubilation and the joy. That's as loud as a gym can get in pandemic. Like, it's just good, right? Like, the second one, the other similar moment of jubilation I saw this week was in a worship song Nick showed me. I'm not going to show you the video of this because it's too long, but it's called, I Thank God. If you get a chance, go to YouTube and look up the song, I Thank God by Maverick City Worship. Uh, Nick texted me and Ed Walker and said, I've never heard a worship song where I cried and danced and screamed. And he was like, it just, what he's like, it's everything uh, that he, uh, it's just so powerful. And Nat and I were singing it and dancing to it all night and all weekend. There's this one line in there where it says, hell lost another, what's it say? Hell lost another one, I am free, I am free. And like, I just, I keep constantly saying, hell lost another one, hell lost another one. Like, it's so good. You need to watch it to understand the jubilation. It's, it beats that by a thousand times. Listen, uh, if the first song I sing in, in heaven to Jesus isn't more exciting than this video of I thank God, then like, I don't want to spend eternity there. Like, it is such a good, good video. Um, And so what the basketball team and what, like when they erupted, how they felt when they erupted, and what the worshipers feel in this video that you're going to go watch later um, is available to all of us. That is available, like that is available to all of us in Christ. But it's available as we trust the shepherd and surrender to his care and obey him and trust. Is there a place in your life, as we end this series, is there a place in your life where you need to let the Lord be your shepherd Is there any place where you need to trust or obey or give something up or put something down or pick something up or make a bold move or act in faith? If God is your good shepherd, uh, what is one thing you may need to do today or this week or in the days to come that evidences His trust and care? Not your goodness and faith, but His trust and care. When I understand I'm a sheep, a lowly, humble, wobbly, dumb, vulnerable, totally dependent sheep... And understand the Lord is my good shepherd. And then when I understand that all that being part of His flock guarantees, I can confidently say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all my days. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I can say it with joy and jubilation as I willingly and intentionally orient my life around the Lord, my shepherd who loves me. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for these people. Some brand new believers have been following the the shepherd, surrendered part of his flock for less than six months, less than a year, so many of them. Uh, Some of them for years have been walking with you and following you. Some of them not quite yet even there. Uh, But Father, I pray that we would, whether it's the one who's not there, maybe from their seat, may need to say, Lord, I'm turning from myself. I'm turning from my sin. I want to trust you. I surrender to you. I want to be part of your family. Or maybe... Uh, Maybe today, Lord, it's one who just needs to obey or trust you at a point where you kind of put your thumb on something in their hearts. Lord, I pray that we could say, not that we're giving stuff up or adding stuff to our life or trying harder. I pray we could say that the Lord is our shepherd. We don't lack for anything. And then we reflect on all that implies, and it leads us to the conclusion that surely goodness and mercy will follow us all our days. And we will dwell in the family and the household and the flock of God, both now and forever. We love you. It's good to worship together. We love you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.